Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here on a new episode of AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to have you along with us as we talk about what is happening in rural America and issues impacting agriculture. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up on today's program, we're going to have a discussion with Peter Orwick. He's going to be talking with us, talking sheep from the American Sheep Industry Association. We're going to talk to him coming up in segment three today. In segment two, we're going to get caught up on the weather with John Baranek from DTN Weather. And then coming up at the end of the show, we're going to get an update on the low water levels on the Mississippi River. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, going to be joining us to provide that update coming up at the end of today's program. So looking forward to all of that on the way here on today's AOA. Let's dive into what's going on in the market trade right now, though, as we have worked out of the long holiday weekend, officially into the month of September Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart, joining us on the show today. And Darren, I uh, hope you had a good holiday weekend. Looks like the markets so far are kind of slowly working their way into September trade. Yeah, good morning, Jesse. You're right. I mean, they, they basically took four days off. I mean, there wasn't much going on last Friday. Uh, so, you know, as we came out of the weekend, you know, we saw a little buying early uh, in the overnight session. But it kind of died out, and uh, now as we've, we've moved into Tuesday morning, got a little support building uh, in the corn market, very little bu- uh, building in the in the Chicago wheat, and just really, again, just not a lot going on right now. Even though there's a there's a lot of things that could happen uh, here over you know the September, it kind of opens the door to a very important not only three month time frame as we finish off the off the next uh, next quarter, but you know as we look ahead to the next six months. Uh, so much could happen, particularly in the soybean and corn market. Yeah, and I, I think about just this short window in front of us here before we really start rolling combines. That's mm-hmm. one of the things in front of us. You know, I, I heard a lot of anecdotes uh, from farmers at the Farm Progress show that this crop is not necessarily drying down, but dying down with some of that heat and dryness. So one has to wonder if we could get a, a bit of an early harvest in front of us here, but also too. Now, weather forecast, I know John's going to talk about it coming up here in a little bit. Looks like it's turning a little less threatening and maybe a little wetter here for this uh, first part of September. Yeah, I've, I've seen that, and it will be interesting to hear John's take. In fact, you've got quite a show lined up here for today because it'll be interesting to hear uh, John's take on on the weather for not only short term, but, but intermediate term as well. And then the discussion about the Mississippi River. I think it's key uh, because, you know, I mentioned the six month time frame. Well, this is the chance for the U.S. to to export some soybeans. And this is where we this is when uh, the U.S. tends to do most of its businesses over the next six months. And so now we, we've been making some sales. And now if we have trouble getting it to port, uh, getting it down to the Gulf of Mexico because of low river levels on the on the Mississippi, that could add another layer to this export problem that the U.S. has faced here for the last couple, for the last number of years. And that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. You mentioned we've been seeing some sales, yet China still feels like they're a little slow to the uh, game here in the U.S. as they've been still buying a lot of that cheap inventory mm-hmm. coming out of South America, Darren. Yeah, they're pulling as much as they can right now out of uh, out of Brazil. 
which you know really puts the spotlight on what happens here over the coming months. I have a feeling a lot of these sales to unknown destinations will wind up being China. Uh, just given what we see in the overnight session, most of the buying comes in about the eight and eight to nine o'clock, maybe up to about 10 o'clock in the morning, Beijing time. So it certainly seems to fit uh, with, uh, with Chinese buyers getting a bit more active during our overnight sessions and then backing off as, as we get closer to the open of the U.S. session. So, uh, you know, it would certainly seem to fit that if, you know, here over the next few weeks, months, whatever it might be, uh, we see some of those, uh, some of those sales moved over to, into, into China's book. Darren, one other note here in the uh, corn market as well. These corns really been holding around this 480 type support level. Are you are you worried that if we break through that, we could go down and test some 450, 425 type levels here in this corn market? What are you watching as you keep an eye on the charts right now? Yeah, as I keep an eye on the charts, and I'm not an analogous year guy. I don't believe in analogous year. I think chaos theory makes that a moot point. But there is a strong similarity between what we saw during 2010 and 2014 and what we've seen so far between 2020 and 23. And this is on the cash, uh, this is on the cash corn side, looking at a cash index. And what happened there is the market did continue to fall. In fact, it posted a low around that 425 area in the April, May 2013 timeframe. So if we see, if we continue to follow that path, it certainly opens the door to the possibility of, you know, cash cash market continuing to fall here over the course of the uh, of the fall and winter uh, and going into next spring when all of a sudden next year's acreage is, is an issue. Now, for Deese Corn itself, it's got a characteristic classic sideways pattern going between 507 and 474, just like you mentioned, 33 cent range. If it breaks it out, you know, let's say we see a bearish breakout. So taking out that 474, 473, 474, it drops us back to that 440 range. Uh, and then we have to take basis off of that for the cash market. So it could all come together here, could all play out pretty much as it, you know, from a technical point of view, as it should. Uh, but we'll see if fundamentals change to the point. If we get some commercial buying that keeps that from happening. We're talking with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart here on AOA Today. Darren, let's go over to the protein sector. Mm-hmm. Bit of a mixed bag to start off the holiday-shortened week in cattle and hogs. Have to think as well we're maybe assessing some of that uh, Labor Day demand and restocking some of the store shelves. That could have an impact here this week. Yeah, it really could. It's interesting to watch. The, the lack of the lack of activity in the cash cattle market is, is interesting in and of itself. I mean, we've got a stalemate up around that 170 area on the cash side. We've got box beef kind of popping around down one day up the next. Uh, so it looks, you know, it's acting very toppy. But, you know, as we've seen for the last year, year and a half, market that can't go down, won't go down. That's certainly a great description of the cattle market. It seems to always find some reason to make that next move up. Right now, it just doesn't seem to be there. Uh, so again, we're kind of stuck in the cash market. Boxed beef can't really decide which way it wants to go. Now it does come down to demand. If we continue to see strong, you know, strong employment here in the U.S. and strong demand for boxed beef and so on as we head into the fall, uh, that could eventually break the cash market free, going to the upside. If not, you know, this market again looks like it could start to, you know, get a little top heavy, possibly start to break down a bit. And I'm also keeping an eye on this crude oil market, Darren. I know we're pushing back up towards 90. We're a little over 87 here on Tuesday. Uh, what's your thought? I feel like that's always kind of the canary in the coal mine, so to speak. Yeah, we, we got, you know, I did all the monthly analysis and we've got 
solid uptrends now in both Brent crude and West Texas Intermediate. And then, you know, that was followed up with headlines. I don't know if they came out on Monday or early Tuesday morning uh, of, of Saudi Arabia and Russia extending their production cuts, you know, for another, I, what was it, a month or two? I, I've lost count now. Uh, but it doesn't really change the supply and demand situation that much. Uh, what, you know, the big issue is, is we're into a time of year here in the U.S. where driving season starts to slow down. Everyone's back at school. Vacations are over. Uh, and now we have a little bit of a lull here before we get to the holiday season. So, you know, gasoline should back off and it'll be interesting what happens with crude oil. But from a technical point of view, certainly did grow more bullish during August. Well, with that, Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Thanks so much for joining us this week. And we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for having me on, Jesse. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at the weather forecast here for the week ahead. John Baranek with DTN Weather joins us on the other side of the break, back with more AOA right after this. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. 
a message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA. We talked markets there in segment one with Darren Newsom from Bar Chart. Got his perspective on how things are shaping up here as we get into the month of September. Weather, of course, has been top of mind for a lot of folks. Had an impact in the markets here the last couple of weeks with the heat and dryness. How are things looking, though, as we get into the month of September? Sounds like a bit of a big change in the forecast. Joining us now to go over it, DTN Weathers, John Baranek and John Thanks for the time. Hope you had a good holiday weekend. And man, oh man, uh, pretty uh, pretty big shift in this forecast here from what we were thinking we were going to see here just, uh, I'd say, about a week to 10 days ago, John. Yeah, that's right, Jesse. I mean, we certainly got the heat that that moved in here over or the, the Labor Day weekend. And thanks for that. Yeah, I did have a good weekend. Hope you did, too. Uh, but um, you know, we, you know, models last week were, were, were pushed finally starting to push a system through across northern areas, but they kept it warm behind it. Well, over the weekend, of course, they, they changed things dramatically and just have this cold front basically wiping through most of the country and uh, bringing much more milder temperatures through. So we still had some heat. Uh, we've got it for another couple of days, just depending on where you are. Um, but for, for, for most areas here, we're, we're going to cool down quite nicely here for, for early September. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we got up close to 100 degrees up in Minneapolis, uh, even up to Fargo, got up in, well into the 90s. But, you know, they're going to be in the 60s and 70s the next couple of days. So it's, it's a huge drop in temperatures. They must have got the memo that uh, football season's kicking off. Fall <laughs> is here, so we got to get those temperatures more fall-like here. And I, I don't think anyone's arguing too much with a, a bit cooler weather. Also, though, I, I know looking at you know Tuesday and into Wednesday, we're, we're watching some rain, shower, thunderstorm activity, especially northern plains into central Corn Belt. That is uh, kind of working its way into the forecast as well here, John. Yep, that's where the system is right now. So we, we saw some good uh, rainfall over the, the Dakotas uh, yesterday. It's starting to move its way eastward into Minnesota and Iowa here right now. Um, there's some isolated showers kind of ahead of that out in Missouri and, and other areas around there as well. But really the, the main system here is, is moving from the Dakotas into Minnesota. Uh, we'll see that kind of spreading its way eastward overnight tonight. Um, some stronger thunderstorms are expected kind of across Minnesota and into Wisconsin Later today, we could see some isolated stuff kind of further south through Iowa and then back towards Oklahoma as well. But you know, overall, not too bad. But we'll get some decent rainfall out of it, especially across the northern areas. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be a little bit spottier the farther south you go just because those, those thunderstorms won't be as widespread. Um, and they'll be kind of on the move as well. So uh, they won't stick around for too long. But, you know, a lot of areas are actually going to see some rain out of this as it moves through over the next couple of days. Um, we had a little bit of, a, of an upper level uh, tropical feature that moved through uh, kind of the, the lower Mississippi Valley over the weekend, producing pretty decent rainfall down there. Um, and it's since moved up into Missouri and Illinois, and it's going to kind of feed a little bit more moisture uh, into the air ahead of this system. So, you know, to go along with some heat today, we've also got some higher humidity, but we'll, it'll help to feed some showers as this uh, front moves through over the next couple of days. 
Well, John, I got to ask here, thinking about some of this rainfall and this front moving through, we know we are still very dry in much of the central corn belt. And I think you and I both heard some of the anecdotes from farmers that uh, this crop not necessarily drying down, but dying down and early harvest is on the minds of some folks. So how much, if any, could this rain potential maybe impact some early harvest thoughts here? I would have to think with how dry it is, much of this rain's probably going to soak into the ground pretty quickly, John. Yeah, I heard those same anecdotes. A lot of, and and my kind of trip down from Minneapolis into central Illinois kind of showcased that too. A lot of areas from, from southern Minnesota into northeast Iowa looked, looked like they were dying instead of drying. So um, yeah, a lot of these areas are still pretty dry. I mean, it's been since maybe mid-August when we saw some widespread good rainfall uh, across the Corn Belt been kind of hit or miss and spots here or there since then and mostly miss so a lot of this rainfall that's going to come through is going to soak into the ground um and so i don't i don't see a huge uh impact for harvest we may have to wait a day for the crop you know to to, to lose it out of the leaves and everything but uh, if anybody needs to get out there and do some early harvesting this i don't think is going to put too much of a damper on you how about the next couple of weeks out as we're looking maybe just a little longer range, that 14-day forecast or more? I mean, are we looking at this pattern to kind of continue cooler, maybe a little wetter? I mean, what's some of the latest you're seeing there, John? Yeah, I would say more variable. Um, you know, this the system that moves through brings us into the fall season, kind of. Uh, unless you're down in Texas, unfortunately, that front doesn't make it all the way down to Oklahoma and Texas, so they stay on the hotter side. Uh, but for everywhere else, we're going to kind of – you know, bumping around normal uh, in terms of temperatures. Um, and we do, looks like we'll, we'll keep the door open for a few disturbances to move through and, and bring us some potential for showers uh, over the next, you know, seven to seven to 12, 14 days or so. Looks like we've got another system moving into kind of the Northern Plains, Central Plains area here this weekend. And that'll spread um, uh, through the Corn Belts early next week. Showers don't look too bad. I mean, it looks kind of spotty, isolated to scattered showers, thunderstorms. They're moving fairly quick again, so um, they don't stick around too long. We don't get a whole lot of rainfall out of it, you know, around a quarter of an inch or less for most areas. Maybe some some areas get a little bit more than that. Um, but, you know, kind of on, on that uh, kind of scale, there might be another little system that moves through later next week. We'll see if that actually happens or not. Uh, models are still going to try and figure that one out. But, um, you know, we've got a couple of chances here for, for getting at least some rainfall in. And I know a lot of folks would prefer to have at least a little bit of something here because not everything's completely dead yet and ready to be harvested. So it'd be nice to get a little bit of rain in, in for, for a lot of folks. And, you know, we still have forages out there and, and uh, some folks are, are looking ahead to uh, winter wheat planting as well. So at least we got at least something going on. Mm -hmm. uh, for those areas uh, and those folks out there that, that uh, could use a little bit of rain. Um, does, again, it doesn't look overly impressive for too many areas, though. So um, if, if you add everything up, uh, models are really kind of pointing towards below normal rainfall for really the entire Corn Belt, most of the plains uh, for the rest of the month. We're talking weather with John Baranek from DTN. John, let's turn our attention to South America and Brazil. I know some southern portions of Brazil over the uh, holiday weekend seeing some pretty substantial rainfall in some spots. Looking at things there, I know we got to really focus in. They're going to be planting here pretty soon with that soybean crop here. So what's the latest you're seeing Brazil, Argentina? How is South America shaping up right now? 
Yeah, um, and it was pretty heavy rainfall over the weekend too. Uh, kind of those southern states in Brazil where you know, they may be doing double cropping, uh, wheat and corn, wheat and soybeans um, uh, have had issues with some some heavier rainfall over the weekend. We saw a lot of two to four inches of rain uh, in that area, so they kind of flooded out a bit. But they're you know just starting to think about planting down there, so they they can wait a little bit. Um, Central areas of, of the of, of Brazil here got some early rainfall uh, last week, uh, a little bit into this week as well. Um, so things are looking pretty good there. And Argentina got some some pretty decent rainfall over the weekend as well. So um, you know they had a historic. They're coming up a historic drought from last season, and uh, you know the, the rain the rainfall snowfall over the the winter time wasn't very good. So that they really needed to see some of this pick up, and and they have. And it looks like this uh, active pattern is, is really going to continue for, I don't know, the, at least the rest of the month. It's, we're seeing system after system kind of lining up in the Pacific Ocean to move through with them. And um, every time one of these systems moves through, it's moving through with some moderate to heavy rainfall for a lot of these areas. So, uh, you know, this is kind of a, a typical uh, pattern from El Nino is, is to get some better rainfall over Argentina into southern Brazil. Uh, it's, it's really starting to take shape here. Now that could lead to some issues with planting, but as long as they get some crop in the ground and you know, those folks down there are really good at dodging showers anyway, cause they get so much rain for, on, uh, for the most part there mm -hmm. that, uh, that things are looking actually really good for, for most of, of South America, at least through the month of September. I was going to say, they don't want to necessarily plant in the dust, but they're pretty good at dodging those showers, as you mentioned. It's sounding like, I mean, are we talking an early start to the wet season potentially here, John? Well, these are more frontal systems. Instead, of, Usually what happens with the wet season in central Brazil is it's just pop, pop up showers and thunderstorms uh, okay. on the daily. Uh, so that's, that's a little bit different. Uh, we've seen some fronts get up into central Brazil to give them some showers early. Um, but yeah, the, the wet season showers aren't really in the radar just yet. Um, usually that happens at the end of September. Um, but this early rain is, is certainly going to help them out, uh, beforehand. Uh, if, if anybody was out there thinking, you know, maybe, maybe we should go a little bit earlier. They, they'll probably have some better conditions in which to do so. As long as the, those wet season rains come in and, uh, in typical fashion here at the end of the month or, or, or early October, Things are things are looking real, real good across most of South America, which is un unfortunate for us here in the U.S., of course. Well, that's something that we're definitely going to keep our eyes on. John, glad you made it home safe from Farm Progress Show. Got rested up over the holiday weekend. Thanks for the time. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Jesse. John Baranek with DTN Weather joining us here today on AOA. Coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with Peter Orwick, the Executive Director for the American Sheep Industry Association. That's on the way next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. Sports allow us to play, learn, and grow. 
But there's something more important than victory. At the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, we believe every athlete deserves to be safe, safe from abuse and misconduct on and off the field. We equip athletes, parents, coaches, and others with the right education to recognize, prevent, and respond to harmful behavior. Join the movement to champion respect and end abuse at uscenterforsafesport.org. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains and oil seeds are a bit mixed this morning. Soybeans have got a negative tone to them, while corn and wheat are both mixed. Livestock is also mixed with fats and feeders lower. Hogs are modestly higher. Now, the grain and oil seed sector is being pressured as weather forecasts are improving and ahead of private production forecasts due out this week, which is ahead of next week's highly anticipated USDA WASDE crop report. The Midwest forecast has shifted milder and somewhat wetter over the holiday weekend, which allows conditions to improve as this year's corn and soybean crops finish the growing season. Crops will vary as to how much they benefit from this improved weather pattern. The focus now is going to be on the extent of that damage done to the crops over the past several weeks, which have been quite dry across most of the egg belt, with periods of extreme heat included in that time frame as well. Now in South America, the start of the Brazilian planting season typically starts on September 15th in Mato Grosso and surrounding areas. Local policy doesn't allow planting earlier than September 15th to break the Asian rust growth cycle. Growers petition Mato Grosso to allow for September 1st planting this year so they could harvest beans sooner, and that was granted. Now, there have been some showers in the region as well, but the monsoons have not started yet in center-west Brazil. Most farmers anticipate waiting until the rainy season starts before actively planting. Forecasters are believing that could still be four to five weeks away. Brazil can still grow a big soybean crop with late planting. They've done it before. The greater risk for late planting soybeans is that it delays harvest, which in turn delays planting of the safrina corn crop, raising the risk that it would not make grain before the monsoons end. The VIX is trading near 14 this morning, while the dollar index traded to a nearly six-month high above 104.8. And crude oil prices are also pushing higher to fresh nine-month highs as Saudi Arabia announced that it will extend its cut in output until December. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back here to AOA Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen back with you in studio. And joining us now, we want to catch up with the American Sheep Industry Association. 
He is the executive director for ASI. Peter Orwick is with us here on the program today. Peter, great to have you uh, back on AOA. I hope you're doing well. I am, and thanks for uh, thanks for having us. Well, let's dive in and talk about some issues that are important to the American Sheep Industry Association. And first, I know you guys are working on wool exports and some reverse trade missions, uh, a recent trip uh, hosting a wool company from India. Uh, talk a little bit about that and just some of the things you guys are working on there to start. Absolutely. The uh, American Sheep Industry Association, we have a, a division uh, which is the American Wool Council. And uh, between our sheep producer volunteers and my staff, we uh, fully use the USDA export funds uh, to help market the American Wool Clip uh, every year. And uh, through the Foreign Egg Service uh, and their uh, provisions, uh, we export, uh, we're hoping to hit 60% of the American wool uh, going overseas uh, this year. So uh, as you mentioned, the India uh, wool mill trip uh, that we brought over here, uh, very helpful uh, to have that as part of our tools. Well, and I, I believe as well, you'd mentioned this to me, we were trading emails back and forth. Uh, there's some plans for maybe a, a Chinese uh, reverse trade mission uh, later this fall, is that correct? Absolutely. So, you know, the way we set up our programs is we utilize, uh, we have folks in country, we have a consultant in China, we have a consultant in Europe, we have a consultant in India. We, uh, we have folks uh, here stateside that are very uh, uh, experienced uh, in the U.S. military. Uh, which is a, another topic we can explore. But um, And the other tool is we bring the wool buyers to America. Most of the textile equipment in the world is not on American shores. Uh, so that's why it's so critical that we are able to export, uh, you know, a large share of, of our annual uh, production. Because of the pandemic, we hadn't been able to bring buyers to America in four years. Mm. So... We were very uh, excited uh, to have the interest, uh, you know, when we sent our invites out uh, for a, a company from India. Um, so they came to uh, to meet with us and we took them to wool traders and wool warehouses, uh, spent an entire week. And they were looking at the wool, looking, talking to our, our folks. Um, and it's just by all accounts uh, very successful and we expect to, to have containers uh, moving in the next couple months uh, to that mill. Well, and you brought up with COVID not being able to to bring these folks over. And I, I know as of late, we've seen a bit weaker demand for certain U.S. Co um, commodities. I'll think, you know, corn, soybeans, wheat, et cetera. H have we seen any sort of demand issues when it comes to wool exports, Peter? You know, that's an excellent, uh, excellent question because you, you do, it, you know, the strength of the dollar, um, you know, it definitely impacts your, your ability to compete in the worldwide market. The, the second thing that the pandemic did to us is, as you can imagine, the sales of wool sport coats, wool suits, wool slacks, wool blouses, uh, it just plummeted uh, for that year and a half to two years with all the remote work. Uh, going on, people just weren't updating their wardrobe. So we stacked up a tremendous amount of wool all over the world. 
And, you know, the, the toughest spot is any of our coarser or, or maybe the, the colored fiber. Fluces are just really tough right now. So, and that's where we were particularly excited uh, with India uh, because there are some of their products uh, where, where these kind of wools move. Uh, so that's again, if we're able to uh, to set up another buying delegation this fall yet, uh, you know the the folks in Asia own a lot of the textile equipment, so it's always exciting to to get them over here to to look at our wool. And you know, and then of course, uh, you know, if you want to discuss the U.S. military, I think that'd be an interesting uh, topic for yeah, folks as well. Well, let's let's talk about that real quick. How how does the U.S. military play into this whole equation when we think about wool exports and more? Can you talk about that? The armed services uh, of America, uh, they constitute about 20% of the American wool clip on a, on a raw or grease uh, basis. Okay. Every uniform that you see on an American serviceman or woman, that is American wool, and every step of the process is an American company done in America. So it's a, it's a great story. And it's hugely important uh, for us. So uh, we have companies, uh, there's uh, several that are involved in the very first step processing, which is just scouring the wool, getting the lanolin and the dirt and the weed seeds uh, out. And then they, you know, they have to spin it and then it goes to the yarn stage. Finally, it gets to the weaving the fabric, and then from the fabric goes to another set of companies that actually do the cut and sew uh, to deliver uh, those. And they deliver them by the tens of thousands uh, to the all services uh, of Americans Armed Forces. So it's very it's very important to stay in touch with the Defense Logistics Agency and the folks that you know that actually buy the products. Uh, and you know they're very, they demand high quality and consistency. Consistency. So, and if you'll you'll notice if you ever have the opportunity, if you have four or five service people and they're wearing their dress uniform, if you look, they could be five to ten years apart, but that blue will be the same blue on each one of those people. That green will be the exact same green on each one of those people, and that's very important to our military leaders. That is extremely interesting. I learned something here today. Very, very awesome stuff. We're talking with Peter Orwick, the executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association. Peter, let's talk farm bill and ag labor. I want to start with the farm bill first. Uh, obviously, we're uh, getting ready to ramp things back up here on Capitol Hill in September and going to be very critical uh, time frame here for this farm bill. Could you share some of the uh, sheep industry's priorities for the farm bill? Absolutely. We do have some risk management. We have on the wool side uh, that is one of our key asks of the committees to extend that program. It's been been there for about 20 years, and and that marketing loan it kicked in in the in the last couple of years, which is what a marketing loan is supposed to do when a when a market falls out of bed. Uh, that's when you're expecting to see a marketing loan take place, and we have. So it's critical that we that we get that uh, renewed. Uh, we also, on the animal disease front, particularly foreign animal uh, diseases, that's another key priority between between us and cattle and, and pork, uh, dairy, et cetera. Uh, that's key for us to, to be prepared with the vaccine bank and the laboratories um, and the education and business plans 
that would be needed uh, if we had the unfortunate event of a foreign animal disease outbreak uh, in the U.S. Secondly, we, you know, the conservation programs, uh, you know, the disaster assistance type programs, those get use in some region of the United States every year. Uh, and our sheep farmers and ranchers are, are, are no different. So that's another very key part for the Farm Bill. So we've been participating in the listening sessions and we've already testified before the House uh, Livestock uh, Subcommittee. Uh, so we're just going to keep uh, remain active whether we get a bill done uh, by the end of September, an extension, but this will be uh, high on the priority list when everybody gets back after the August congressional recess. Well, I know as well, another high priority, as I mentioned, ag labor, the H-2A visa program. And I know that's an issue. It's a bit divisive trying to figure out some solutions to that guest worker program. What is your take on that situation? That, again, is a big topic in the sheep industry. Uh, we, uh, actually, we actually have about a third of all the sheep in America are under the care of an H-2A sheep herder. Uh, those men are typically from Mexico, oftentimes uh, Peru. Uh, but So there's thousands of sheep herders and and it's we're we're the longest standing program uh we're we're considered special procedure uh industry because we're you know it's it's not a seasonal it's not just for harvest it's it's year round and uh you know so uh it's critical for us to have that have that program so we've been involved with every legislative proposal effort uh, to update uh, that uh, that program for for the uh, for the foreign workforce. Um, in fact, uh, this week we're uh, we're visiting with the members of the House uh, Working Group, uh, I call it, and that's what they're attempting to do is try to figure out a way for the H two A program to work better and to better meet the needs of American agriculture. And again, just because so much of our industry is dependent uh, on those on those men, uh, we have to be involved. Another side note, we have about 40% of, of the sheep industry that at some point in the year are on either BLM or, or Forest Service land. So, and, and a lot of times those permits require that the sheep be uh, continually herded uh, while you're on that federal grazing. So another key reason that we have to have our foreign workforce. Well, a lot of great insights. We do appreciate the time and the update. Peter Orwick, Executive Director for the American Sheep Industry Association. Thanks so much for joining us here on AOA, and we'll look forward to having you back on the program again soon. I look forward as well. All right, coming up next, we are hearing more and more concern about low water levels on the Mississippi River. Barge rates are going up, and it's all happening right near fall harvest. We're going to get an update on things with Mike Steenhook from the Soy Transportation Coalition. That's next here on AOA. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity and vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. 
an advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the Foundation foundation Fighting fighting blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Steve Meisch, a grain sales manager with CHS, about pre-harvest marketing strategies. What is the market telling farmers about selling grain out of the field or storing right now? Well, looking at the current corn and bean market, there's a little bit of carry there, which is um, <laughs> it's a good thing to see. Honestly, it's really good to see. So the farmer deciding to store is a very simple marketing plan if he or she wants to do that. I think with the variable um, yields that we'll see, because some places missed a lot of rain, some places didn't get any during the growing season, which the rains have turned on now, I think there will be some pricing opportunities is the way I feel like the market could give us a chance to price some grain before harvest here or during harvest for that matter. Steve, what marketing tools should farmers consider using this year? With the volatility in the market, the easiest way and most simple way to market would probably be using some hedge to arrives to their advantage. The hedge to arrive leaves you to set basis later, which gives you the flexibility to go anywhere you want during harvest. So the flexibility in that is very good and an average marketing plan. They're very simple and very underutilized with the volatility in the market and an average pricing program, pricing grain every day at the close for you. Well, why is it important for farmers to know their per bushel cost of production to set their marketing price targets? Well, we need to know our break even so we don't sell the grain below our cost of production. Knowing your cost of production is going to make your operation just that much more successful. There hasn't been that many opportunities this year, unfortunately, in the market in which they gave us. So the easiest way to do that is just get as close as you possibly can. That's Steve Meisch on Around the Table brought to you by CHS. Any information or opinions presented are for informational purposes only and do not constitute trading, legal, or other professional advice. CHS makes no warranties about any information or opinions provided and shall not be liable for the use thereof of any errors or omissions therein. 
The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders. The baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here on AOA to get an update on the water levels on the Mississippi River, Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks so much for the time with us here today on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Hey, it's good to be with you, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Well, I feel like a bit of deja vu here again, Mike, as we're talking low water levels on the Mississippi River, an issue we dealt with here in a fairly recent memory, and it's sounding like could be an issue as we head into fall harvest. Uh, get us up to speed. What is the latest you are hearing, and what are some of the impacts uh, we're already seeing, if any, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a sequel that none of us in agriculture and in the broader economy, for that matter, actually want to be watching right now. Uh, we had these historically low water conditions in 2022. It happened at a very inopportune time for agriculture, which is our harvest season, which is also, particularly for soybeans, our key export window. And you know, now we're, we're seeing, a, again, a sequel to that. You know, when you look at various spots along the Mississippi River, places like St. Louis, Memphis, and, and you know, throughout the system, you're seeing water conditions today are actually a bit lower than they were at the same period last year. So we're entering this real key period from a position of weakness. And when you look at the near-term forecast, uh, it's not uh, portending uh, an abundance of precipitation. So likely those water levels will continue to fall. And the result of that is that barge transportation becomes less efficient. You can't put as much in our case, soybeans or other agricultural products in each barge out of a concern that the barge will sink, continue to sink and possibly scrape the bottom or even get grounded. We saw that happen last year. And then also with the less water, the channel becomes more narrow. So you can't attach as many of these barges. Each one of them can handle well in excess of 50,000 bushels of soybeans. So you can't attach as, number, as many of these barges together to form one single unit. And that's really one of the magic you know, components of barge transportation is this ability to just attach these barges together to form one single unit. That's where the efficiency and economics are really profound. So you can't do that as much when you have a narrower shipping channel. So it, it is a real concern for us. We want our supply chain to be operating at full throttle during this period of the, of the year. And obviously, the at least as we're looking at right now, the, the river is not equipped to, to accommodate that. 
Well, Mike, as well, I know I'm seeing already barge rates. Uh, you alluded to some of the, the issues with barges there. Spot rates look like they're already going up. I think the latest number I saw is of August 29th. We're up 50% from the prior week before. So it feels like we're already seeing some impacts there. Yeah, it, it really is kind of a supply-demand kind of phenomenon. So if you've got a given amount of freight that needs to be transported or will need to be transported, in our case, it's soybeans and, and agricultural products, but then the supply is not as robust as it normally is. And that's not because you're actually taking barges out of service, but each individual barge, you can't load as you normally would to the fullest capacity as you normally would. And you can't put as many barges together to form one single unit. So again, the, the supply due to war, low water conditions has actually gone down. And so it's kind of the inevitable result of that is that it puts upward pressure on rates. And so, yes, we are seeing that um, additional cost of moving, you know, product from various spots along the inland waterway system. And one of the things that we understand within agriculture is that a lot of those costs get passed on disproportionately to the farmer in the form of a lower price uh, offered at point of sale, uh, a, a more negative basis, particularly along these river locations. So uh, it, it has an impact on farmers uh, individual profitability as well. So that's why it's a real big deal. Do we think this could put some uh, added pressure on the rail system or trucking? I would have to think that maybe if we can't move as many beans down the Mississippi River that we would try to do it by other means. What are your thoughts there, Mike? Yeah, you know, it's kind of analogous to the old you know, proverbial squeezing the balloon. So if you're squeezing the balloon, if there's less pressure getting directed to the inland waterway system because of low water conditions, that's expanding pressure in other locations. So you're going to be, you know, all of these farmers, all of these shippers are going to be looking for what's my option B, what's my option C, and that might be rail, that might be trucking uh, to, say, a, a livestock intensive area or to a more distant processor. They're all looking at their options B, C, and D. So there's going to be more pressure exerted on those other options, whatever they, they may be. It could be storage. There's going to be more pressure exerted on storage. So a lot of these things that we saw last year, unfortunately, are going to be repeated this year. Well, can we learn from history, though, with it being just last year? We saw the challenges. Can we maybe be a, a little better prepared here going into this fall harvest with some of the same issues, Mike? Yeah, we're hoping that that's, that's going to prove to be the case because, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, a lesson that was you know, reiterated last year or we were reminded of is the best time to respond to a catastrophe or a challenge is before the catastrophe rather than after it. And so when it comes to low water conditions, you know, there's not a whole lot we can do about what Mother Nature you know, decides, but we can do things like to what extent are we able to surge up dredging you know, assets. To what extent can we have those assets positioned strategically in advance of the problem actually materializing? And and that's something that, you know, last year, you know, there was a lot of hard work done on, on dredging to try to maintain that shipping channel. But I think one of the conclusions was you could have, you could have done a better job in advance to be able to prepare for it. And so I'm seeing evidence that, that those lessons have been learned and internalized. And we're seeing, you know, assets, you know, better position, being able to surge up that capacity. Yeah, you know, obviously it remains to be seen whether we really execute on that. But we're hopeful uh, that that 
that we'll do a better job this year than we did last year. Well, Mike, uh, we always appreciate the time and the insight. I know we'll stay close with you on this issue as uh, we continue to watch it heading into fall harvest, and we appreciate the time. We'll let you go. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jesse. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. All right, that's going to do it for today's AOA. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, we'll have the September edition of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association. We'll also talk the latest meat demand monitor with Dr. Glenn Tonsor from Kansas State University. That's all coming up on tomorrow's AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.